My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Good morning and happy Mother's Day. This is Pastor Lane Jones for the Calkins Baptist Church and the Beacon Folk Broadcast. And want to start by wishing all you moms a, a great Mother's Day. And I hope many of you enjoy time with family and, and loved ones. And you certainly have earned that in many ways as uh, going through the whole birth process and raising children. It's not an easy thing. And I'm certainly blessed with my mom. She's still alive, 87 years young. And my wife, the mother of our four children, what a blessing both these ladies have been in my life. And I pray that that you have others who will say the same to you and appreciate you on this special day. And I've decided to break away from our normal broadcast to talk about a mother in the scripture. Her name we know as Sarah today. It started out actually Sarai. And so there'll be times when in her early years, I might use her name Sarai, but we know her today as Sarah. God actually changed her name and her name will mean princess. And so she certainly was a very royal figure in the scripture as a lady that was instrumental in the birth of the nation of Israel and the coming of Jesus Christ as well. And so before we get started, let's ask God's blessing upon our study. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for a special day when we can acknowledge and honor our mothers uh, across the country. And we thank you for that opportunity. And uh, Lord, we would pray for, although not everyone that is listening is is a mom, there will be many others listening as well, we all can gain much from looking at this lady's life and how you used her and overcame all kinds of obstacles and failures in her life to make her a great blessing. And so we pray for your blessing upon this time together. May you accomplish what you want for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you're following along in your Bible, I'm going to Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 27. And we're just basically going to trace Sarah's life for many years of her time on earth. And the first part I'd like to talk about is her early years. And these would be years, I guess you could summarize, with many blessings and yet one big disappointment. And so I'm starting in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 27. And it says, this is the genealogy of Terah. Now, Terah would be both Sarah's father and her husband Abraham's father. you got to remember that the law of Moses has not been written yet. And so in the early days of humanity, many times people married within their own family. So Sarah is not a full-blooded sister of Abraham. She is a half-sister. She has a different mom than Abraham does. So Terah is, a, is her father as well as Abraham's father. So anyway, it says, this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldees. That's where Sarah is growing up in a very technologically advanced area of the world. It uh, For that time, they had some metallurgy that would shock you. If you look in some of the uh, books on ancient cultures, Ur of the Chaldees was a place of some technology for the era. And so it's a city with a lot more going on than where she's going to live for most of her life. And uh, then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, 
but Sarah was barren. She had no child. The first thing I want to mention is that she's born into a pagan family. Now, her father being a Terah, we're told in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2, which was written many, many years later, Joshua said this. He said, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. And the river they're talking about is the Euphrates River, because Terah is uh, east of the Euphrates in Ur of the Chaldees. And then Joshua makes this interesting statement, and they served other gods. So Sarah is growing up in a home where they're serving multitudes of gods. And so Abraham is also growing up in the same type of environment. And so both Abraham and Sarah are growing up in an environment where dad is worshiping many gods. Almost, if you could think of in what would be a little bit more closer to our era in the Greek and Roman area with the pantheon and all of those type of beings, that would be the general idea of what was going on. You could say something else. Not only was she born into a pagan family, but she was, I believe, happily married. Now, I take this from the following facts. First of all, this woman loyally followed her husband, and you will see this as we look at the account of Sarah's life. She was a loyal wife to Abraham. Also, she showed great respect for her husband, and we'll see that as well as we go along. 1 Peter 3, 6 says that Sarah called her husband her Lord. And when you look at the incident which Peter was referring, she was saying this to herself. It wasn't something that she's saying in order to impress Abraham or any of his friends or anything like that. But she's actually, in her heart, showing a great reverence for her husband and for not only his role in her life, but the fact that she really does seem to respect who he is and really honors him as a man. Abraham was blessed to have a woman so loyal to him and who really did respect his leadership and loved her husband. She also thought of Abraham's interests above her own. Her decision to uh, later on we'll, we'll talk about to give her servant Hagar to Abraham as a as a lesser wife uh, was to bear a son was not something that Sarah would have wanted I don't, I don't think any more than any other woman would have wanted that but I think she really was trying to do that out of love for Abraham because she was unable to bear children for so many years and assumed that they maybe this was a way that uh, God's plan could be furthered, and, and Abraham's desire to have a child would be um, brought to, to bear. You also th- see in Sarah not only a loyalty to her husband and great respect for her husband and really thinking of her husband's interest above her own, but Sarah was obviously respected by her husband. Uh, she was, and there's several ways you see that, that Abraham and Sarah had a relationship where they could talk and and go back and forth and and um, see each other's points it wasn't by any stretch the kind of system where Abraham made you know called all the shots and Sarah has no input not at all I'll give you uh, like three different examples of this giving Hagar to, to Abraham to produce an heir was Sarah's idea and Abraham listened to that and and went along with it then later on she'll rebuke Abraham for listening to her She'll say to her husband, you shouldn't have listened to me on this one. You shouldn't have gone along with what I had to say. And by the way, Sarah was right on that, too. Abraham didn't have an obligation to do something foolish there and and marry Hagar just because his wife wanted him to. But again, 
she is able to tell Abraham, she's able to speak her mind to her husband, and then even telling Abraham some years later, you need to get Hagar and her son out of our home. And Abraham ends up listening to her. Now, that is something Abraham absolutely did not want to do, not, I think, because he loved Hagar to any great degree, but because of the fact that that he had a son that would also have to leave Ishmael at the same time. And so if you had a husband who you could loyally follow, who you truly respected, whom you loved more than yourself, and who respected and listened to you and your thoughts, would you be happily married? Well, I think... I think we have a good right to believe that Sarah was. But Sarah has a major burden, and that is, as verse 30 tells us, Sarah was barren, she had no child. Sarah could not conceive. And this went on year after year after year. Now, I do not know what the age was that a woman married. Matter of fact, I tried to look that up, and I'm not sure in that culture, you're talking 2,000 years before Christ, but typically the ladies would often marry in their teens. And so by the time Sarah leaves for the land of Canaan, she's in her 60s. And I want you to know, she, they lived longer back then in, in that, at least this couple did. Sarah won't die till she's 127. So she had a long life. And she had a lot of life left in her, even in her 60s. But still, think about the fact that She's been barren for, if she got married in her teens, we're talking about 50 years of not being able to conceive a child. And so let's jump into now Sarah's middle years. And this would be a time that I would summarize as a time of much change, but with one withering hope. Um, and so Sarah's life, you can, you can follow along in Genesis chapter 12 down to chapter 20. I'll kind of just pick the specific spots. But what we see is despite there's all kinds of activity and change during these middle years, but one constant is remaining, and that is Sarah is still childless. Her desire to have a child uh, with her husband and to be able to actually enter in on God's promise to him of a great nation and eventually being an ancestor of the Christ who would save the world, these were promises that God had given to Abraham, her husband, and the longer she's going without having a child, the more it seems like these promises just aren't going to work. Well, what were those promises? Let me read them to you. It's in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, and from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. All right, so God says, Abraham, here's what you need to do. You need to leave your country. That'd be Ur of the Chaldees. It's down near the Persian Gulf in what? Uh, near the great city of Babylon. And you need to leave your country. You need to leave your family. You need to leave your father's house. And then I want you to go to a land, and God doesn't d uh, specify the land. He just says, a land that I will show you. So now put yourself in Sarah's spot. Abraham comes back. He says, God told, uh, told me that we're going to have to leave. And Sarah says, leave? Leave home? Leave been here probably most most all their lives, maybe even all their lives. And Abraham says, yeah, God told me that I have to leave my family behind. Now, that would include then his wife leaving her family behind. And I've got to go onto a, a different land. And so Sarah says, well, where are we going? And Abraham says, God didn't tell me that. Now, can you imagine as a wife going along with this? 
you know, the fact that God's going to show me when I, I guess when I get there, but he didn't tell me exactly where we're going. And Sarah is willing to go along with her husband. Again, this just shows you the, the, the love that this woman had for her husband and her character to be able to trust God, again, coming out of a pagan background, coming to the faith in the one true God. And now she's willing to give up all family, friends, even her area that she's lived in and move on. Now, where they went at first was called Haran. Now, Haran, if you had a map of the the Middle East, just above the Persian Gulf is where ancient Ur of the Chaldees was. And you could just about, pretty well north of there is a city called Haran. And um, it would be a number of, of miles away. This is where they went. Now, Abraham isn't completely obeying God yet. He hasn't left his father behind. His father I don't know if he just decided to join the group or what, but his father Tira wants to go with them, and so they end up going to Haran, where Tira would die. And so it was then that Abraham is moving out from Haran, and he's headed toward, again, this unknown location. He just knows it's down toward what we would call Canaan, and so he, that's where he heads next. And so this promise from God was, okay, I'm going to, here's what I'm asking you to do. Get out of your country. Now, Abraham's fulfilled that from your family. He's almost fulfilled that. His father has now uh, died, so he's, he's left his father's house. But he's got a nephew. His name is Lot, who is still hanging with Abraham, and he wants to still go on the journey. So Lot and his family will be going with them at this point. And then he says, God, I want you to go to this land that I'm going to show you, and I will make you. Now, here's what God says I'm going to do for you. You do these things for me, I'm going to, I'm going to make you a great nation. So he's getting Abraham out of his pagan background. He says, when you do these things, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless you, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you... All families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I don't know if they understood everything that God was saying here, but he certainly was saying that he was going to give them a land, that they would have a great nation that would inhabit that land, that Abraham would would be blessed by God, his name would become great. All of these things, by the way, have historically happened. And he said, I'm going to also make you a blessing, which Abraham certainly was and still is. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Interesting statement. One of the, one of the things that we as Christians, while we believe in, in um, those Bible-believing Christians like myself, believe in standing with the nation of Israel, though they're an imperfect country just as we are, it's uh, important, we believe, to stand with the nation of Israel because God said he'll bless those that bless Abraham's seed. And so, but then he makes this statement, in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. That was a promise of the coming Savior. Someone would, who is in Abraham, the idea is a descendant of yours, is going to bless the entire world. We now know who that would be. That would be the Savior. Spoken of way back in Genesis chapter 3, there'd be a human born to a descendant of Eve who would who would be the Savior. We, we now see that being narrowed down to one particular man, Abraham, and his descendants, and of course his descendants would form the nation of Israel. That would be the great nation that God was talking about. But the problem is, 
as Sarah, his wife, would view it naturally so, she's still childless. And not only does she have a great desire to have a child to give to her husband and to further the plan of God in this great nation, but how, how is this promise ever going to happen if she doesn't conceive? So what's going on in these middle years as time continues to tick by? Well, she first of all, she moved many times. She moved from Ur the Chaldees up to Haran. She moved from Haran down to Canaan. Now, once she gets to Canaan, and by the way, Abraham's occupation is a shepherd. Now, they still have over in that region, even today, what are called Bedouin shepherds. And Abraham would be in a similar occupation to what these people still do today. And that is, he didn't own any land. And these shepherds over in the Middle East today, many of them don't own any land either. They just, they wander through the land. They go to different spots where their flocks can graze. Many of them are pretty well-to-do. They don't have any real bills. You don't have any property or anything along that line. Your property is only uh, uh, the, the animals that you that you own. And so Abraham was like one of those. Well, th what that means is Sarah, I don't know what she had in Ur of the Chaldees. I don't know if she had a nice house or not. But I'll tell you this, the rest of her life, she's living in a tent. Now, hopefully they made, and they made some pretty nice, and I made sure they made things comfortable within those tents. But any way you slice it, it's not a house. It's a tent. And she will live in a tent for the rest of her life. Whether or not they had that in Ur the Chaldees, I do not know. But I do know that they, the Bible specifically says that they lived in tents. So... That's a pretty rough thing. So she's moving from Ur to, to Haran, from Haran to Canaan, from Canaan. They run into a famine in Genesis chapter 12, and it starts in verse 10. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, if you think about it, if, if you don't own any property, the only property you have as far as, you don't only land property, the only possessions that you have are your animals. And there has been a famine that's come to your region, you're in danger of losing everything. And so Abraham decides to make a move to go down into the land of Egypt until the famine lessens in the land of Canaan. And so they're down in Egypt for a while. And then when things got really hot down in Egypt, and we'll talk about why in, in a few minutes, then he eventually comes back to Canaan. Uh, chapter 13, verse 1, Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south, and was talking about the south of the land of Canaan. So this woman is, during her middle years, there's a lot of change in moving many, many different times. Also, she almost lost her marriage twice. And I say, this is a, a godly, loyal woman, happily married, and she was. Then how can she almost lose her marriage? Well, one of the things about Sarah was she was beautiful. Now, I what, what I can read in the scripture is that Sarah was so attractive that Abraham was worried that he was going to be killed in order that someone could marry Sarah. Now, let me just read it to you. In chapter 12, verse 11, it says, And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say, You are my sister, 
that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Now, it tells you a couple things. First of all, it tells you the violence of the society in which Abraham is living in, again, about 2,000 years before Christ, to the place where Abraham seemed to reasonably fear that someone might kill him in order to get at his wife, in order to be able to marry his wife. And was it not true that, that they are half brother and sister so it's not you could look at it and say well we're not com- we're not really lying it's there's truth there but of course they're obviously trying to deceive and so what happened as a result of this is is this deception actually endangered sarah all the more now abraham's thinking well if i die then you know they're going to just do whatever they want with sarah but the reality is, is his deception that she's just my sister, not my wife, actually endangered her all the more. So one of Pharaoh's servants notices her. I'll read it in verse 15. It says, the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. So she certainly must have been a very attractive woman. And so uh, the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Now, Pharaoh innocently thinks that she's just Abraham's sister, here's a very attractive woman, unattached, and so he sends messengers to Abraham saying, "Um, I'd like to marry your sister. I'd like to... Now, let's remember, we're talking about 2,000 years before Christ. Polygamy is widely practiced, and so, especially by the wealthy, so Pharaoh's taking her in as one of his harem. And how is Abraham at this point going to say no? And so it took God's intervention, actually a dream to Pharaoh to avert the destruction of their marriage at that time. Now, something similar will happen in chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, where Abraham, again, didn't learn the lesson from the first occasion. A number of years later, it's still going on. When he comes to areas that he feels are might be unsafe, he, he calls Sarah his sister, not his wife. And another man who's quite wealthy named Abimelech was doing the same thing. He was going to take her into his harem. And again, Abraham seems to not have the ability to stop that taking place. Again, he's lied to the man. And God again intervened and let Abimelech know that she was actually married to Abraham. And Abimelech again returned her without ever having been with her. So twice Sarah almost lost her marriage during those middle years. Something else that happens at this time is you have to you have to feel for Sarah because there's a lot of uncertainty then as to her part in God's plan. If God promised her husband this great nation with a multitude of descendants and she can't even conceive one child, then where is her spot in this whole plan? Is she in the way even? And so I want to just read to you chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. And what and I know it's harder when you're on the listening on the radio, but I just want you to listen for something that's missing here as God speaks to Abraham, okay? Chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So Abraham is saying, God, you have blessed me, but there's this big blessing you told me about, that I'm supposed to have this great nation, and I don't even have an heir. I don't don't have a descendant 
to begin this great nation. And so he mentions his lead steward, who's a very good man, by the way, Eliezer of Damascus. But he says, are you going to do it through him? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. I mean, at this point, the only offspring he has is his lead servant, uh, who would be, evidently he was a father. Then Abram said, uh, I'm sorry, verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside. This is God now telling Abraham, Go outside. Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. They're going to be like the stars of the heaven, Abraham. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. That's a great statement. Abraham, Abraham believes God, even though it seems impossible at this point. Sarah can't conceive. And, the, and, and God says about Abraham that I counted this to him for righteousness. I consider Abraham a righteous man because he believed in me. He truly trusted me. He really was a believer in the one true God. And may I say to you, just like Abraham was accounted a righteous man because of his faith in God, that's how you and I are still saved today. It is by placing our faith. Now, we have a little more information than Abraham did. We, we're not looking forward to a Savior who will come. We're looking back, seeing that the Savior has come, Jesus Christ, that he has died on the cross for our sins, that he is resurrected from the dead, and that he now is the Savior that we can look to to save us from our sins. Now, Abraham didn't have all of that information, but Abraham does believe what God had showed to him at that point, and he is a true believer in the one true God. And so God said, I've accounted that to you for righteousness. Then he, Abraham, uh, God, said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And we'll go on from there. But now, I read some verses I kind of interrupted, but what's missing when God says, Abraham, your descendant is going to come out of your own body. You are literally going to be the father of a great nation. It's not just going to be some servant in your house. You're going to be the father. But you know what's missing? Any reference to Sarah. Maybe you picked up on that. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. There's nothing said that Sarah's going to be the mother. And so when you come to the next chapter, chapter 16, you find Sarah acting in unbelief. She has come to the place where she no longer believes that God's plan includes her. And so she's trying to think, I love my husband. I know what God has promised him. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm in the way. And so she makes this decision. Well, let me read it to you. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of his wife. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. Now, we're told from uh, Genesis chapter 12, and I believe it's right around verse 7 or so, that Abram was 75 years old when he came to Canaan. 
Now, they've been 10 years in the land of Canaan. All right, so that means he's 85 at this point. And even though he will live a long time after this, his lifespan is, is, is even longer than Sarah's. Sarah, by this time, is, she's 75. She's 10 years younger than he is. And although, again, she lives to 127, it's getting to the place where, honestly, menopause is going to be setting in. And so Sarah's getting to the place where she's given up hope. She's thinking that, well, must be I'm not part of this plan for the great nation. And, and so what causes her? Why would she do this? Why would she give another woman to her husband to be a wife as well? First of all, you gotta you gotta admit that there's probably a lot of unanswered prayers that have gone out. How many years has this woman prayed for a child without success? And again, it says to just like it did back in chapter eleven that she's born him no children. She she's barren. Think of all the years of unanswered prayers. Think also of the silence from God up to this point. All promises that God made were to Abraham. There was none, including Sarah, at this point. So can you understand why? She would reason in her heart, well, God never said that. He said that my husband would be a father of many nations, but he didn't say anything about me, so maybe God isn't going to work on my behalf. Another reason why she may have been convict, uh, convinced to do this is just basically misreading God's mind. Very easy to do, by the way. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 tell us, God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God's told us right up front, you're not going to be able to figure out what I'm thinking. Now that hadn't been written yet, so Sarah can't grab onto that promise either. But the reality is, is she's misreading God's mind. A very easy thing to do. Why? Because she's thinking, well, since God has not answered yet, I mean, it's been, who knows, what, 50 years that she's been barren? If she got married, say, around, I don't know, if she was 15, let's say she's 20, it's it's still 45 years that she's been waiting on a child that's going to be more than that because she's now 75. So she's been waiting about 50 years for a child. And, you know, can you understand why she would think, well, since God has not answered yet, it looks like he never will. How about this thought, too, that God has put a solution right in front of you. Some Sometimes we think that. And that is, well, wake up, Sarah, you got a girl who's one of your servants. And back in that culture, in that time period, a surrogate mom was acceptable in that culture. The idea is that you could have another woman have sexual relations with your husband, and then you could claim the child as your own. Now, can you see all kinds of ethical issues here? And let's remember, things that not not necessarily spoken of in Scripture— as wrong. Maybe there's no direct uh, statement that, well, there isn't, by the way, direct statement that says you cannot smoke. But is that probably a a good idea for for a Christian to do? God does tell us that we should not defile the temple that he's given us. So we certainly have some principles to go by. But if you're looking for a command in scripture that says you shall not smoke, you're not going to find it. But I think we can get there reasonably. Well, I think Sarah would have had enough information to realize, you know, it's not treating my servant with very much respect to have her bear a child and then I'm going to adopt it. Which, by the way, did not happen. I'm glad that did not happen. But 
that was culturally acceptable. I want you to also think about the fact of polygamy. And may I say to you, I uh, unfortunately, polygamy is making a it's making it's raising its ugly head in our society, even in the United States. Now you can look it up. It's called polyamory. P o l y a m o r y polyamory, which would include not only marrying multiple people, but also living with multiple people, maybe not even married to them. And so, you know, there'll be people that'll try to put a positive spin on that. I'll just tell you that one of the greatest blessings of marriage, having been married to my wife now for over 30 years, is companionship. The fact that, that we can share our lives together, not just the sexual relationship, as wonderful as that is, we get to share the blessings of companionship, of walking through life, praying through life together, going through issues together. And when you bring a second and sometimes a third and even greater, you just start undermining and undercutting all of those great blessings of close companionship. And why would Sarah do that? Again, she's she's thinking, well, God is doesn't seem to be that I'm in God's plan. Maybe I'm in the way. And hey, there's a situation right in front of us. And it's something that is not out of line of what's socially acceptable. But when you're going to test something according to God's will, just like where it be smoking, like I mentioned, or something else, I think you need to, here's some tests to think about. First of all, Am I making a morally evil choice? Now, obviously, that should be an automatic disqualifier. However, let's be careful here to remember that in Sarah's mind and maybe in Abraham's mind, surrogate mothers were acceptable in the day, and so was polygamy. So, And there's no specific scripture that's even been written yet. Moses hasn't begun the law. He won't live for several hundred more years. So you basically have just a man's conscience, and that can be shaped by your environment. So you can't say that Abraham and Sarah just said, we're going we're gonna to make a morally evil choice to, in order to have a child. I don't know that they were thinking that. But there's a second question that I think is even more important when we're considering uh, God's will, and that is, is what I need to do to accomplish this task, okay? Is this the morally best choice? Is it morally best? Not just morally acceptable. Is it morally best? Now, that's a very different question, because when God established marriage, he established it for two people, did he not? And one of the things in Genesis chapter 2 that is talking about is how man and woman were together, and they were naked and not ashamed. Now, why does Moses mention that? He's not so much talking, and and don't think of it so much along the sexual uh, uh, relationship, although that's certainly part of it. But what he's really talking about is the fact that before sin had come, there are no secrets that these people are living together in great harmony in in every area. And although we cannot get back to sinless perfection at this point on on this sin-cursed earth, in which we too still have sin natures, we what the ideal is to have a relationship where we're not holding multiple things from each other, where we are able to share with with all kinds of burdens and blessings together and to go through life together. And of course, that's going to be torn at when Hagar comes into the home as well. So why would Sarah ever do this? Well, unanswered prayer. She's been praying, I'm sure, for years and no answer from God. Number two, silence from God. God has never said that Sarah was going to be a mother 
of many nations to this point. How about misreading God's mind? You know, thinking that since God hasn't answered yet, he never will. Or, hey, I have the solution right in front of me. How about this one? A long delay means the answer is no. And Abraham, again, it was Genesis 12, 4, I'm sorry, where God had said he was 75 when he came in. It's been 10 years longer. So you can understand where Sarah's thinking, my biological clock is is running out here. And there's just no way. I, I need to do something in order to help God out. That's really what she's doing and help my husband out. And so I'll go against what I would want to do and I'll let a second woman come into the home in order to try to fulfill this promise. And so now what, what happened as a result of this uh, really was a foolish idea. Well, the first thing was that she experienced several severe consequences for these choices. And first one would, would be quite logical, and that is conflict in the home. So what happens? I'm, I'm starting at verse 4 of Genesis 16. It says, so he went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she, Hagar, saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Now, you can understand that. Hagar was probably contented because this would be the mindset in that era to be the servant girl. Okay, now she's been elevated to be a wife. Now, secondary, she's not, I don't think anybody would think that she's going to be replacing Sarah, but all of a sudden now, she's able to get pregnant. Sarah hasn't for decades. And so Hagar now begins to look down on Sarah, thinking, hey, I'm expecting you're not. You never could. Maybe she's also thinking, maybe I can replace Sarah in Abraham's heart. I don't know if she was thinking that or not, but you can also understand that when she's now expecting, and this is a, this is a huge deal. This is an important thing. This is giving a descendant and an heir to Abraham now, when Sarah's asking her to do the normal menial task, it's like, well, I don't want to do anything that would endanger my pregnancy. And so you can imagine sparks begin to fly between these two women. Verse 5, Then Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. Now notice what she says next to Abram, The Lord judge between you and me. And so what Sarah is literally telling Abraham is this has become a mess and it's really your fault, Abraham. You shouldn't have listened to me. And Sarah's exactly right, by the way. Abraham should have, if you could rewind the tape, said to Sarah, that's a, you know, that was very kind of you to think that you want to have an heir, but um, it's an unselfish thing. I know that you're thinking, but it's not a good idea. We're not going to do this. I'm not going to bring another woman into the home. But Abraham goes along with his wife and that was the one time that he shouldn't have listened to her. And Sarah's right to come back and say, Abraham, you should not have gone along with this one. This was a dumb idea. You're in charge. I mean, you're the husband, and you shouldn't have listened to me. And uh, Sarah was right on this. So now you got conflict in the home. Now, what are they going to do about it? Because Hagar is expecting things are not, sparks are flying between the two, between the two women. Verse 6. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. So Abraham, you can understand he doesn't really want to jump in the middle of this thing. So he says, look, she is your servant. You are my wife. She's in a lesser position. You can do with her what you want to. So when Sarah dealt harshly with her, Hagar fled from her presence. Oh, great. 
So here's this pregnant woman running, and I'm just telling you, that region is not a friendly region. You may have some oasises around there. Sure, Abraham is at one of those because of his flocks. They need water. But when you go just running off, you can be in, a, in, in serious danger in a hurry. And by the way, God had to intervene there. He um, sent Hagar back, and she does bear a child to Abraham. His name is Ishmael, and he becomes the father of the great Arabic peoples of the world. But the conflict didn't end there. You find years later, Hagar and Ishmael, when, when uh, Sarah is able to conceive a child years later, and we're talking getting close to 20 years later, when Ishmael is mocking the, the young Isaac, Sarah's child. And, and so that's when Sarah says, hey, Hagar and her son's got to go. They just have to leave. And Abraham, again, listens to his wife wisely. He didn't want to. God said, look, you need to listen to Sarah. She's right on this one. And so Abraham followed through and, and obeyed the Lord and, and listened to what Sarah had to say. But th th that whole decision to bring Hagar into the home really caused just a burr under the saddle for about a 20-year period in Sarah's life. So this was not an easy conflict to resolve. And let's keep in mind that during these years of middle age, heading into old age, Sarah's ability to bear children is just day after day withering away. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 19, it talks about Sarah's womb being dead. So it got to the place where she's reached menopause and... It seems like all hope is gone when Sarah tried to step in and do something in order to solve the issue that she clearly saw, and that is Abraham doesn't have a descendant, I'm barren. She really tried to solve God's problems, what she did, and that blew up in her face. But we want to check out Sarah now in the later years of her life, and in spite of many disappointments that she's been through in those middle years, she found fruitfulness in her life, great fruitfulness due to simply putting her faith in the Lord and going back to trusting him. Now, again, if you were Sarah, had seen day after day go by without an answer from God about a child, then you tried to place your husband's best interest and even what you thought was God's best interest ahead of your own by giving your servant to your husband in order to conceive a child, only to have all of your well-intentioned plans just, just become a disaster. Would you not wonder if God's plan, even if he had one for your life, was over now? Maybe maybe you just blew it too badly. Well, thank, thank the Lord it wasn't. And so in Genesis chapter 17, there's an indirect message that is for Sarah. It wasn't spoken to her specifically, but it was spoken to her husband Abraham. I'm starting at verse 15 and reading down to verse 19. It says, Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, excuse me, for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, again, it will mean princess. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Now, that's, that's a wonderful thing. But can you imagine Sarah... Now, he's got more to say here. He says, 
Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? It's gone another 15 years, folks, between the time when Sarah first gave Hagar to Abraham, okay, when he was 85. Abraham is going to be 100 before Isaac is born. He's 99 now, so it's about 14 years. Sarah has gone from 65, okay, excuse me, 75. She's now 89. And she has reached menopause. There's no, there's no more physical hope for her. So Abraham literally laughs at this. He says, is, is a child going to be born to a man who's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90, year old, 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. It's like, God, can't we just kind of go with what we already have here? Can't we just go with Ishmael? Then the Lord said, and God said, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Now, interesting enough, the word Isaac means laughter. Just like Abraham laughed, and there'll be more laughter here. He says, you shall call his name Isaac, for I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And he says, by the way, he goes on to say, I've got a plan for Ishmael as well. But the indirect message for Sarah is, hey, you are going to be a mom although it may seem impossible. Now, the in the next chapter, which is which happens not very long after this, as far as I can tabulate, there are three visitors that come to Abraham in the middle of the day. And one of them is said to be the Lord, capital L, capital O. The word uh, we often pronounce Jehovah, others would say Yahweh. Is, we don't really know how it's pronounced. It's such a sacred name, but it's the name for God himself. One of those visitors is called the Lord. And so, as best as scholars and I would fully agree with them on this, many of them believe this was an Old Testament appearance of none other than Jesus Christ and two angels appearing to Abraham. And so, when you hear me read Lord, it's that word for God himself, and this would then be Christ appearing in the Old Testament. And the first thing on the agenda when talking to Abraham was Sarah. So I want you to listen. It starts with verse 9 of chapter 18. Then they, this is the group, okay, and specifically Christ is with those two angels. Then they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? So he said, here in the tent. Now she evidently was out of sight, but she's um, listening as well to what's going on. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, I call this a direct message because she's listening. She hears this. Now, keep keeping reading here. It says, Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? Her Lord, she's talking about her husband, Abraham. So she's saying, Am I really going to bear a child at this age? And it was funny to her. And so she doesn't, I think, laugh out loud. She says she laughed within herself. So she's kind of in her own heart just laughing at this. This sounds so crazy. And the Lord... This is one of the three visitors said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh saying, shall I bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now that question spoken by Christ himself 
for Sarah to ponder is a wonderful question when you think about it. And this was the key thought that she's supposed to carry away while listening behind these men on the other side of the tent is anything too hard for the Lord. Now, Sarah is afraid because she he don't want to mess it up at this point. And so the Lord goes on, he says, at the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. So you can hear her speaking on the other side of the tent door. Uh, I didn't laugh. But again, she's not laughing out loud. God knew what was going on in her heart. And he said, no, but you did laugh. So although it wasn't something that was outwardly, outwardly verbalized, the Lord saw her heart. And by the way, I, I don't think he's condemning her here. He's just saying, I, I know, you know, Sarah, you don't think something's too hard for God. How did she handle this news? Well, the book of Hebrews, written thousands of years later, would tell us. It says this, Hebrews 11, verse 11, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. When she heard the Lord say, Is there anything too hard for God? She said to herself, no, there's not. That's, that was the answer that she would, would hang on to. There's not. And if God said, I can bring forth a child, then I will. So if we want to wrap this up, I want you to think about the fact that she's a great demonstration, first of all, of a saved mom. She's a girl that comes out of a pagan background and comes to know the one true God. And it's very similar to what would be said about a group of Christians um, who the Apostle Paul was instrumental in working with them in a town called Thessalonica over in Greece. And here's what Paul could write about them. For they themselves declare, other people had heard this, concerning what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from, excuse me, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's a true believer. They've, you've, you set aside your idols and you come to worship the one true God. She's a great example of a saved mom. She's also a great example of a submissive wife and how she respected her husband, even, again, in her heart, calling him Lord. And, and because of her respect and reverence for Abraham, she loved him. What a great example of a wife. She's used as an example of a wife in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. She's also a woman of great faith. She grabbed on although it was an embarrassing truth that she had to hear because she really didn't want to be exposed for laughing, she grabbed on to the fact that God said it could happen, and so it will. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. She's also an example of a joy-filled mom. So what happens with Sarah? Well, you come to chapter 21 and listen to what it says. Verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Laughter. Isaac is what his name is. Isaac means laughter. 
Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. She's a woman of faith. She's a, a, a joy-filled mom. She's also a fruitful mom. Sarah was far more fruitful than she could have ever imagined. As the mother of just one child, Isaac, Isaac will receive the Abrahamic covenant, which is the covenant that not only the real nation and, and descendants, multitude of descendants in a land, but the, the one who will bless the world will come through her. And of course, that is Jesus Christ. The Abrahamic covenant then is the promise of the coming Savior, and Sarah is in that line. And then the Christ then, who comes through Sarah's descendants, will, will be the one that will provide salvation for all of us. But let me also say she's an example, in all probability, to another mom, a lady who is much younger than Sarah was at the time, a young woman who's up in, Na in the town of Nazareth, somewhere around 2,000 years after Sarah's time on earth. The angel Gabriel showed up and talked to a young virgin by the name of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And you know, he said something to Mary, who also had questions, because the angel said that she was going to conceive without a human father. Now, Sarah was going to have to conceive after, after menopause. She was going to have to conceive when it was impossible for her womb. She was at a dead womb. But Mary is going to conceive without a human father. And so she rightly said, how can this be since I know not a man? I've not, I've not been intimate with a man. Here was the angel's answer. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And so Mary, too, made the choice to believe that nothing was too hard for the Lord. And she, true, was, was proven correct. And so may I say to you, on this Mother's Day, whether you be a mom or not, nothing is too hard for the Lord. And there may be things that you've been praying about for some time, and they look like they're impossible to you. Maybe it's the salvation of a loved one. Maybe it's revival at your church. Maybe it's revival in your country. We certainly need that. Maybe it's the restoration of a relationship. May I just encourage you to renew your prayers. Don't give up. Remember that question, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And the obvious answer is, no, there is not. May God bless you. May you have a happy Mother's Day. And we hope that we'll feel uh, tune in again next week. If you'd like some spiritual help like counseling or prayer, feel free to contact us through our website. If you'd like to listen to this message again or send it to a friend, the link to our podcast is at radiobold.com slash Baptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Life and light, he free.